Steve. Change is the only constant. I came in to find that written on Miss Bixby's board one day. It was said by a Greek philosopher named Heraclitus over 2,500 years ago. I know, I looked it up. Of course, Heraclitus did a, was a recluse who rubbed himself with cow manure before he died because he thought it would cure his swelling. So his wisdom is questionable. Still, I've found the quote to be frustratingly true. Just when you think you've got something pinned down, it shifts on you. Take Pluto. I was devastated when I found out Pluto wasn't a planet anymore. And all because it's not gravitationally dominant in its own orbit, which is suddenly what's important. Not that I think Pluto should be a planet. I just think people should be consistent in how they define things. You can't suddenly stop being a planet because a bunch of scientists say so. The diorama on my headboard has nine planets. Astronomically inaccurate, I realize, but it gives me comfort seeing little Pluto sticking out on the end. Topher says I worry about this kind of stuff too much. He once said to me, the more things change, the more they stay the same. I told him that may be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. The problem is that you get used to things being the way they are, and then you wake up one day to find that they've rearranged the aisles at the grocery store so you can no longer find the individually packaged applesauce cups, which have moved from the canned fruit to next to the crackers. Or your sister, who used to let you sleep in her bed with her when you were little and your parents were arguing, arguing, suddenly starts whispering to boys on the phone and screams at you if you get in her room, screams at you to get out of her room when you are just stopping by to see if she wants to play Scrabble. Or your teacher disappears with only a month left in the school year, leaving you with a sub who doesn't even know the capital of Syria and doesn't call on you because she's afraid you'll politely point out when she's wrong. Or the empty chair at the lunch table you've been sitting at for years is suddenly not empty anymore. And instead of the two of you, like usual, there are three of you. And even though you know that nothing has changed, not really, that your best friend is still your best friend, you still feel uneasy because it could all change, your whole relationship. Because as the saying really goes, no man ever steps in the same river twice. That's actually what Heraclitus said 2,500 years ago. The exact quote, probably just before he covered himself in cow poop. I'm sure his fellow Greeks wished he'd stepped in a river once or twice. One thing I'm certain of, bus 142 smells like a wet dog. The bus picks us up at State Street and then heads east, stopping 17 more places before it hits Woodfield Shopping Center. It has two sets of doors one at the front and one in the middle. It holds approximately 48 people, 49 if you count the very large woman driving it. She stares out the front window as we drop our coins into her box. I actually drop mine in one by one because I like the sound they make. It reminds me of wind chimes. We head head to the back, and I'm a little surprised when Brand and Topher take a seat together. Not that they're Not that they aren't allowed to, exactly. It's just that typically Topher and I sit together. We take the same bus to school, bus 17, and every day he saves me a seat. He saves me a seat toward the back, and then he copies off my math homework while I eat some of the prepackaged cookies his mother gives him for lunch. My parents don't pack me sweets. They don't want me to be one of those fat American kids the TV is always complaining about. Unlike my Tupperwares full of fresh fruit and vegetables, everything in Topher's lunchbox comes in its own foil wrapper, which is very tidy if environmentally unsound way of doing things. 
The cookies usually come four to a pack, which makes two for each of us, though Topher usually lets me have three. Today, though, on this strange new bus that smells awful, Brand and Topher sit together, and I stand in the aisle for a moment, uncertain. Then the bus lurches forward, and I spin on my heels, toppling into a seat in front of them, my backpack containing my portable speakers slamming against my side, against the side. The speakers are for the music, a mix I put together especially for Miss Bixby. The plan calls exclusively for Beethoven, but I added a few extra tracks, things I think she would appreciate. I listened to them all last night. She won't be able to hear them if the speakers get smashed, though. I managed to write myself and immediately get up on my knees and turn around so I'm facing them. The vinyl covering of the seat sticks to my fingers. I try not to touch it. You okay? Topher asks. I must look worried. I nod. According to the United States Department of Transportation, bus accidents resulting in injury have gone down steadily over the past 25 years. I looked it up. Good to know, Topher says, then huddles over the map with Brand the two of them tracing our route with their fingers. Even though I was the one who did all the research and marked all the points along the way, from the school to the mall to downtown to the hospital to the park and back again, it's Topher's map and Bran's idea, but it's my route. I wait a moment, then I say, it should take us 23 minutes to reach Woodfield Shopping Center. Bran turns and says something to Topher, but I can't quite hear it because of the rumble of the bus engine and the squawk of traffic right outside my window. Too much noise makes me fidgety. When I get anxious, I sometimes have a tendency to talk more. The first ever school bus was invented in 1827. It was drawn by horses, I say. Last night's research must have gone a little bit off topic. Bus schedules led to accident. Bus schedules led to accident statistics, which led to a history of mass transit. Before I knew it, an entire hour had passed. That's really great. Topher says, finally looking up at me and putting down the map. Hey, instead of using our only working phone to memorize every page of Wikipedia, maybe you could send a text to someone in our class and see if Mrs. Brownlee has said anything about us being absent yet. um, Or if Mr. Mac Mac ratted us out, Brand added. I don't text anyone in our class, I tell Topher, though he already knows this except you, until you dropped your phone in the toilet. I don't mean it as a joke, but Brand laughs anyway. Topher gives me a dirty look. It was an accident, he says. Yep, those toilets are death traps, Brand remarks, then starts to snicker again. The bus stops rather abruptly, sending me rocking backward. Three people get on. Nobody gets off. I turn back around, my back pressed up against the sticky seat now, and I look out the window. I hear Topher laughing at something Bran says behind me and tell myself it's not important. I don't need to know everything. It doesn't matter who sits where or by whom. Topher is my best friend and nothing is ever going to change that. We met in the first grade, Topher and I. He pointed to my Lego Star Wars lunchbox and asked me if I had any of the actual Lego Star Wars sets. I told him I had four, all complete, all sitting on my dresser at home. The instructions carefully packed away in case I ever needed to rebuild them, too. But they weren't... Oh, sorry, sorry. I messed that up. Um, Like if an earthquake happened. He said he had a few of them, too, but they weren't put together. As soon as he built them, he tore them apart and mixed the pieces in with his other pieces. Also, he lost Lego Bubba Fett's leg when his dogs dog ate them. 
I told him that was the craziest thing I'd ever heard. Not the dog part, which was troubling, but the mixing the pieces part, which was even more troubling. I asked the obvious question. If you mix up all the pieces, how will you put the ship back together? Topher shrugged. Guess I'll just build my own ship, he said. In that moment, I knew the most basic thing I needed to know about Topher Wren. It took a few weeks of building, with his Legos, obviously, but I refused to separate mine. But after that first month of school, we clicked. We spent every afternoon together playing Pokemon and lightsaber battles and at least a dozen games that Topher invented, but all involved us running around his backyard, saving the world from mummies, zombies, vampires, or giant robots. We acted out movies without cameras, mostly jumping straight to the fight scenes and skipping over the sappy parts. We would get into his parents' car and pretend it was a starship, laying on the horn until one of his parents, whichever one was home, opened a window and yelled at us to get out. It was all Topher's idea. It was always Topher's idea. I just followed his lead. Every day after school, we would set off on one of his adventures, making couch forts or digging holes in the park to bury our treasure in, a quarter or a packet of Smarties that we would have that, oh, sorry, uh, okay, the treasure, a quarter or a pack of Smarties that we would forget to go dig back up. The best was when we pretended we were secret agents and would spy on my sister, using my iPod to record her conversations or just hiding in her closet until she heard us breathing and screamed at us to get out. I spent more time with Topher than with my own family. I'm sure they weren't thrilled with the idea. This kid with the wild, scraggly blonde hair and even wilder blue eyes monopolizing my carefully allocated free time. But Topher was polite around my parents and earned decent enough grades, so I was allowed to keep him as a friend. Friends were important to my parents, provided I didn't have too many and they didn't interfere with the quest for accomplishment and recognition. We managed to stay in the same class as each other every year. Topher says it's because we're a duo, like Batman and Robin or Finn and Jake. Other students, mostly boys, would sometimes make fun of us, sing the tree song, or give us dirty looks. I'd learned about other things they said behind our backs eventually. I know Topher did too, but he never said anything to me. It didn't matter. All that matters was that we stuck together and saved the world from the giant robots after school. Topher is a constant, like Pi or Radical 2. He was there when I had to have my appendix, appendix removed, showing up at the hospital afterward with strawberry milkshakes and comic books. He, he was there when my father and mother both had to go out of town on separate business trips, and I spent four agonizing days with Christina bossing me around, acting like my mother even more than usual. He was there when Tyler Fisk threatened to beat the living snot out of me because I snitched on him for cheating off my math test. We both ended up with bruises that day and compared them on the bus ride home. Mine was bigger by a quarter of an inch, which made Topher jealous for some reason. Constants are called that for a reason. You can take them for granted, like sunrises or breathing or the hissing sound of a can of Coke that, that, a, that a can of sorry, or the hissing sound a can of Coke makes when you open it, like the quote your teacher puts on the board every morning, or your best friend saving your seat on the bus. Woodfield Mall. Operator 57 calls out our stop in her gruff voice, and I stand. Topher and Brand shuffle behind me as we step off into the dewy grass, which thankfully isn't quite long enough to reach the cuffs of my socks. On our side of the street is a mall, 
a Sears and a JCPenney tethered to each other with strings of shops that my sister Christina would probably describe in detail. On the other side is another row of shops, punctuated by half a dozen restaurants. One of them is McDonald's, but we aren't ready for that yet. We're going to the bakery three shops down, the first red circle on the map. That's where you'll find the first item on our list. This is all part of the plan, the plan that we cooked up on the playground and then had to change when we found out Miss Bixby was going to Boston, the plan that had us meeting up outside of school and calling in sick, the plan that calls for us making our first stop here to purchase item number one and then boarding bus number 37 downtown. There we will pick up item number two, though I'm still not sure how we're supposed to pull that off. It's illegal for one and probably expensive. Topher says he has an idea, but he won't tell me what it is, which means it's an especially bad one. Item number three on our list will be obtained last, because otherwise it will get soggy, which is why we don't need McDonald's yet. After item three, we will walk the six remaining blocks to the hospital, just like the three kings in the Christmas Carol, Topher says. We break Miss Bixby out of the hospital, take her to the park circled on the map, the one I looked up last night along with the bus schedule, and then. Well, I'm not really sure what happens then. I just know, wait, I just know I wasn't going to let Topher go without me. There's Michelle's, Bran says, pointing. I remember what he said last Monday under the monkey bars as we penned notes on his arm. Michelle's is a must-have. There can be no substitutes. Topher told him he sounded like a commercial, but he was right. Miss Bixby mentioned Michelle's by name. Come on. Topher gives me a tug, and then we run across the street, dodging potholes and cars. Brand leads the way, me in the back, as the bus rumbles off, letting one, letting off one last odiferous cloud of exhaust. Michelle's Bakery is a medium-sized stone building with tall glass windows filled with cakes. Most of them are probably plastic, either that or cardboard pieces pasted together with thick, crusty icing, hard as limestone. My father once told me, that all vanilla ice cream in photographs is actually mashed potatoes because mashed potatoes don't melt. One reason why the real thing is never as pretty as the picture. The sign for Michelle's is also white with rolling green letters all pressed close together. The blinking blue light says catering available. Another sign advertises open till eight on weekends. There is a poster for a missing cat named Princess Pawpaw. I'm not fond of cats. My family doesn't own any pets, which is only odd because my sister is planning to become a veterinarian. I suspect she just wants to become a doctor but doesn't want patients that can argue with her. We walk in and a bell on the door jangles. Hello, welcome to Michelle's, says a man with an accent that catches me off guard. I look around and spy him standing behind a counter, the only other person in the bakery besides us. The man is not large. I'm sorry, the man is large. Not overweight like Mr. McElroy, but large like a wrestler, thick-muscled and bulky. He has dark bronze skin and black hair. In keeping with my expectations, he at least has a mustache. Are you Michelle? I ask. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just curious. He doesn't look like a Michelle. Topher says that sometimes I say things that can easily come off the wrong way. I'm wondering if this is one of those times. Beside me, Brand is already shaking his head. Not Michelle, the man said. I'm, I'm Eduardo. Eduardo, I repeat. It's another habit of mine, echoing people. I just want to make sure I heard right. He looks like an Eduardo. Michelle's just the name on the sign. I'm the guy who bakes the cakes. I nod, then I look around. 
The bakery, at least, smells much better than the bus. Everything in here is white, except for Eduardo and me. There are rows of cupcakes in the glass display in front of us, each of them curly-cued with thick whips of frosting. My mouth waters looking at them. At my house, the closest we get to dessert are chewable vitamins. My parents have a lot of rules. So, you mean you, like, run the joint? Brand asks the man behind the counter. I own this bakery, yes. Eduardo offers an impatient-looking smile. I get the sense that this isn't the first time he's explained this. So then, why not just call the place Eduardo's? Topher asks. Sometimes I think my curiosity rubs off on him. The large man behind the counter sighs. His mustache actually curls up at the ends. I'm tempted to reach over and tug on it to see if it's real, or if it's like the cardboard cakes in the window, but I don't, because people don't like it when you pull on their facial hair. I know this from experience. Let me ask you something, Eduardo begins, draping both large hands over the cash register in front of him, and be honest. Would you rather buy a big, fancy, expensive cake from a place called Eduardo's, or from a place called Michelle's. I don't actually see where it makes any difference, so long as the big fancy cake tastes good, so I just shrug. Maybe it's a trick question. Miss Bixby would ask trick questions sometimes just to make sure you were paying attention. My favorite was, before Mount Everest was discovered, what was the highest mountain in the world? Everyone in class got it wrong but me. Eduardo doesn't wait for an answer. Would you go to a Mexican restaurant named Michelle's? He prods. I don't eat Mexican food. I make, the beans make me, I start to say, but Topher elbows me in the side, so I don't finish the sentence. It doesn't matter. Eduardo knows. Me too, he says, patting his stomach. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's what beans do, what people do, the natural order of things. It's to be expected. We're creatures of habit. Most people, they prefer to buy their cakes from a place called Michelle's. That's just how it is. I look at the sign for Michelle's in the window and try to imagine it saying Eduardo's instead. Maybe he's right. I know exactly what Miss Bixby would say if she were here, though. She'd say, when you are content to be simply yourself, everyone will respect you. It's something she borrowed from Lao Tzu. Lao Tzu. I know because I looked it up, too. Lao Tzu wasn't so wise, though. He was also the one who said that a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, not bothering to mention the five million more steps that you have to take after that. I've done the mouth, the math. I look back at Eduardo and consider telling him about Lao Tzu and suggest maybe he change the name of his bakery, but I'm guessing he probably wouldn't take the advice of a 12-year-old Japanese kid named Steve. So what can I do for you, gentlemen? Eduardo asks. Behind us, Brand has wandered off already, looking at the enclosed glass cases, heading to the refrigerators on the other side. I fill in the gap he leaves behind, shuffling closer to Topher. We're looking for a cake, Topher said, eyeing, raising one eyebrow and using one of his make-believe voices. He's done this as long as I've known him. I guess he's pretending we are police detectives or something. Police detectives who hunt down suspicious desserts. White chocolate raspberry supreme cheesecake. Maybe you've heard of it? Eduardo, who owns Michelle's, nods appreciatively, stroking his mustache, playing along. Yes, I know the cake you speak of, he says. So you know how we can get it? Topher nudges. That depends, Eduardo says. Do you want it whole or by the slice? Topher looks to me. 
probably he senses a story problem coming on, and I'm the math genius among us. How much, I ask, thinking of the original plan, which was to get a whole cake and split it among the four of us, but then thinking about how much money we have between us. Without even batting a lash, the man behind the counter says, $7.99 for the slice, $54.90 for the whole enchilada. The word enchilada strikes me as funny for some reason, and I almost laugh, but Topher is not at all amused. You can tell by the way his eyebrow jumps into his bangs. $55? The baker with the curly mustache shrugs. At Eduardo's, you could probably get it for 40 but this is Michelle's, so it's 55 He gives us a wry smile, and I count two silver teeth. Topher looks physically pained. I thought you said it would be three bucks, he whispers at me. I said it had three dollar signs in the review online. That means that means it's expensive, I explain. Behind us, Brand is still standing at the freezer, staring at his reflection in the frosted glass. Topher throws his hands up. Forget it, he said. No way. No cake is worth 50 bucks. I nod in agreement. It does seem like a lot for creamy cheese and sugar. Eduardo leans over the counter and clears his throat. His cheeks are pocked. I can see now that his mostly coal-colored hair is shifting to gray by his ears. He beckons us closer with one finger, and Topher and I lean in. Excuse me, mijo, but have you ever tried Michelle's white chocolate raspberry supreme cheesecake? He's speaking to both of us, but it seems as if he's looking right at me. His eyes are spooky. They're brown, but so dark they look just like he has two giant pupils. I shake my head. Crees en Dios? Eduardo asks. I don't speak Spanish, Topher says. I can only count to 20, I say, though I'm pretty fluent in Japanese and I knew a few Russian curses that Topher and I learned off the internet, but I'm guessing Eduardo is not going to call me a glupo mudak. Are you a religious person? Eduardo translates. I'm not sure that what this has to do with anything, but Topher is looking at me like I'm supposed to answer. His parents are atheists. I took commun- I take communion, at least, so I nod. And have you ever been to heaven? Obviously, another trick question, but I don't have a trick answer, so I don't bother. Eduardo points his finger at us in triumph. That's because you've never tried my white chocolate raspberry supreme cheesecake. Then he slaps his hands on the counter with a tremendous thump, and my knees knock instinctively. Trust me, amigos, $8 a slice is a bargain. Heaven should be so cheap. Fine, Topher groans. We'll take two slices. I'm not sure what kind of math he's doing. I'm guessing he thinks we'll split each of them in half. Though, if it comes to sharing with Brand or even Miss Bixby, I'll probably pass. I'm not comfortable sharing my food with just anyone. Topher asks me for for money, and I fish for the ten that I bought brought. He digs in his po- in the pocket of his backpack and pulls out a paper clip holding a ten and two fives. He adds the fives to mine and slaps the cash on the counter. He keeps the other ten in reserve. Two slices, he repeats. Eduardo is about to take the money when Brand's voice stops him. We're getting the whole cake. I turn to see him standing right behind us. He has his wallet out. I didn't even know he owned a wallet. I don't own a wallet. I don't even have a paper clip. Brand produces a 20 and lays it on the counter, making it $40. I'm not sure about his math skills either. Dude, what are you doing? Topher hisses. It has to be the whole cake, Brand says. No compromises. 
Eduardo eyes the bill suspiciously with his brown button eyes. The whole cake is $54.90, he reminds us. Topher starts to say something, but Bran puts his hand on Topher's shoulder. Why don't you two wait for me outside, he says. Topher hesitates, but I head for the door. I'm used to following directions. All right, and that's not the end of the chapter yet, but we'll st- um, that's a good um, pause section. Okay. 